0: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning and welcome to Fed Day, Thursday, the fourth of May. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to thirty million customers across ten countries. We have news and discussion this morning on the outcome of the FOMC meeting in the United States. The U.S. Federal Reserve has increased its key interest rates by 25 basis points, its 10th hike in 14 months, but signalled it could soon pause its aggressive monetary tightening campaign. The latest move takes the federal funds rate to a new target rate of 5 to 5.25%. Five That's the highest level since mid-2007. In its statement after the meeting... The U.S. central bank scrapped the guidance it gave after its meeting in March when it said some additional policy firming may be appropriate to bring inflation under control. Instead, in its latest statement, the FOMC said it would take into account its rate rises so far and their effect on the economy when determining the extent to which further increases may be appropriate. In a press conference after the FOMC meeting, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell described the change of language as meaningful. But Mr Powell said it wouldn't be appropriate to cut rates. He said the FOMC had the view that inflation will not come down so quickly and therefore the Fed won't cut rates until demand and labour conditions weaken. Jerome Powell also warned the banking turmoil of recent weeks appeared to be resulting in even tighter credit conditions for households and businesses, which was likely to weigh on economic activity and the labour market. He went on to say that the run on Silicon Valley Bank was historically unprecedented and was out of keeping with speeds of runs throughout history. On today's programme, I'm joined by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Simon Kavanagh, partner at BDA Partners. With a view from Taiwan, it's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Peter Lewis On Wall Street, US shares fell for the third day after the Fed raised rates for the 10th consecutive meeting. Stocks initially rallied after Jerome Powell signalled that a pause in the current rate hiking cycle was possible in June. But equity markets slipped into the red after Mr Powell ruled out cutting interest rates because he didn't expect inflation to come down quickly enough. The S&P 500 dropped 0.7% to close at 4,091. The Dow closed lower by 270 points or 0.8% to end at 33,414. The Nasdaq composite slid half a percent to 12,025. Shares of regional banks continued to slide. The KBW regional banking index slipped 0.9% to its lowest close since November 2020. Western Alliance shares were down 4.4%. Shares of regional bank PacWest shed nearly 2% after losing about 28% the prior day. And the stock has plunged a further 54% after hours on a report that the bank is weighing a sale. Fears of an escalation of the banking crisis in the US sent Asian shares lower on Wednesday. Markets in Japan and China were closed for a public holiday. Hong Kong shares snapped a four-day winning streak, the Hang Seng index dropped 235 points or 1.2% to 19,699. The tech index tumbled 1.6% hitting a seven-week low at one stage in the session, and this morning futures markets are pointing to further falls for Hong Kong stocks with the Hang Seng declining another 148 points or 0.8% at the open. Elsewhere in the markets, US Treasury yields ended lower. The US dollar finished the session at the lows of the day, down 0.7%, and oil prices continue to plunge with Brent crude oil down 4%. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk.
1: Peter Lewis's Money Talk.
0: Let's welcome our guests. We have our regular Thursday morning commentator Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. And also with us Simon Kavanagh, who is partner at BDA Partners. Morning to you, Simon. Morning, Peter. Morning, Peter. Well, as you heard there, the U.S. Federal Reserve has increased its key interest rate by twenty-five basis points. That's its tenth hike in the f- fourteen months. Takes it to five and five and a quarter percent. Andrew, let me kick off by asking you. Um, do you think now the Fed has got it right and raised um, interest rates just enough to curb inflation and now is the time to pause?
1: I will, I'm going to use them their own words, not with, uh, what I think. They'll say up to June, we will carry on looking at the numbers. Remember, they want inflation at 2%. Inflation right now has fallen, and I'm using the CPI as opposed to the PCE, has fallen from 6 to 5% it is still well, well above the 2% they're looking at. But right now, real interest rates are approximately zero, whereas before all this time, we were negative. In other words, the rate of inflation was higher than the nominal interest rates. Not that this is a hugely significant number, but uh, if one uh, sort of clutches, straws in the wind, that makes uh, some sense. So now, whether they are going to stop increasing... Will depend on whether between now and June the inflation continues to, to come down. Mm. In other words, if it is coming down, I think they will go on a hold. But if Despite you were, the fact that they are nowhere near the two percent.
0: Okay. So if you if you were to put your neck on the block here, do you think uh, an in, interest rates which are now five percent to five and a quarter percent is that enough? Is that going to prove enough to bring inflation back to the Fed's two uh, percent target?
1: Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to put my head on the block uh, because of the significant drop between one month from going down from 6% to 5% and the fact that uh, the banking crisis has led to a significant tightening of credit and the Fed will not want simply to add onto that. You can't blame the federal on uh, the Fed. That has nothing to do with that. Blame the federal on the people that were managing the bank and not the Fed. OK, so the Fed will not want to add on to that. So the answer is, is yes, I think we might see rates being held in June, but not cut, of course.
0: So, Simon, what do you think? The, the Fed's sort of signalling it's, uh, it's about to pause, although Jerome Powell did clarify but by that by saying he wasn't saying that the Fed was going to pause and that it was going to be an ongoing assessment. But nevertheless, markets are taking this, that the, the pause is coming.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, I mean said, he said he didn't say they were going to pause, but literally everything else that he did say was that essentially it's a pause. And I mm. certainly think that we will. This will now be the peak for interest rates in the U.S. Um, and the thing to bear in mind as well is this enormous lag effect in timing between actually raising the interest rates and having the impact on inflation. And I mean, the IMF just last October gave a sort of an updated analysis and. They reckoned that it takes sort of 12 months um, for interest rates to have an impact on growth. And then, I mean, honestly, sort of three years to have an impact on inflation. So um, the Fed, to some extent, is is fighting blind. It's doing something now, which is really only going to have an l- impact in the future. And as Andrew says, I mean, there's quite a lot of underlying weakness in the economy. So, yes, I think we're definitely um, as high as we're going to go. We're not going to drop um, until the data starts to improve, but at least we're going to have a period of stability where there will sort of no longer be concern that interest rates are going to go up. And I think that period of stability is going to be very important for the U.S. economy and overall um, investment.
0: So let me ask you the same question I put to Andrew and, and get you to put your neck on the block. Interest rates at five percent to five and a quarter percent—is that going to be enough to bring inflation back to the Fed's two percent target?
2: Yes, I do. Um, But I think it will take some time and interest rates will probably stay at this level for the large part of the remainder of the year.
0: Andrew, the thing is, though, the markets are going further than this. And and they've been doing this for a while, haven't they now? And by markets, I mean, if you look at investors who are trading in the federal funds futures markets, um, they've been saying for several months it's not just going to be a pause. It's going to be by the end of the year. At the moment, those futures are pricing in 50 to 75 basis points of rate cuts by the end of the year. Um, Do you think that's realistic?
1: Uh, forwards uh, have been uh, traditionally pretty useless in forecasts and interest rates. Okay, and uh, I am an absolutely firm believer that uh, markets claim, or actually, observers claim that the markets price in uh, uh, mm-hmm. effects, and I don't think the, the, the markets ever do that. They may do some things like that, but not that you say that's it, the markets have now priced in cuts in interest rates come, mm-hmm. uh, come, come, come January. No. Actually, I don't see this at all. I'm not a a believer in forwards being accurate forecasters.
0: but, But there does seem to be, doesn't there, a very big disconnect between what the Fed is saying... And what a number of investors are saying, it does seem that investors are calling for rate cuts or believe there will be rate cuts um, by the end of the year. The Fed is adamant that there won't be. So one of them has got to be wrong, hasn't there? And either by the end of the year, if it's markets that are wrong, then we're going to see presumably quite a lot of volatility between now and the end of the year as they reprice. Or if it's the Fed that's wrong, um, the Fed is going to lose, well, I was going to say lose credibility, but maybe lose even more of the credibility um, that, that it's Got left? Do you think?
1: Gosh, uh, Peter, this is terrible. You know, I don't think I'm going to have it my way. In other words, I'm going to uh, eat my 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 pie and have it. Now, co- consider this: if I believe that forwards do not really price anything, okay, they, they are just pricing right now things. They are not going to tell us what's going to happen at uh, at the at the end of the year. If I'm right, okay, and uh, as we are going on towards the end of the year, inflation is coming down, and the Fed uh, is feeling happy with its pause, Okay, then it will simply will not increase any further. Now, deep breath. For nearly six months now, the equity markets have been going on to the races. As I've told you, my favorite uh, Bloomberg chart is the one where practically everything is green year-to-date in US dollar terms Mm -hmm. in practically every single equity market except that of Hong Kong, Thailand, and Malaysia. So what I told you, In the last six months, the markets were absolutely happy with the expectation that the Fed has stopped increasing interest rates. They just did. So what this tells me, it tells me precisely that. Mm. Don't look at what they are telling you. Don't even now look what they are actually doing. Yes, (laughs) there is a big disconnect. And what can I do about this? OK, I can simply say clearly the markets were not paying, either were not paying attention or they knew something that we all collectively didn't. But for us to sit happily here and say everything is priced in, no, it ain't.
0: Mm, I suppose markets being markets, you, if you think they're wrong, you can always take the opposite side of that. Yeah,
1: I, I, you know, uh, markets, it's, it's always very easy for people to say markets are wrong, because if they are wrong and they do something, then they get it right. And, of course, that's not the case. Okay, All I can say is markets are.
0: Mm. <laughs> so, Simon, what do, you, what do you make of this disconnect between what markets stroke investors are anticipating between now and the end of the year and what the Fed is adamant about? They are saying over and over again, don't expect rate cuts.
2: I think the Fed is very much trying to just manage expectations. And on the part of the markets, it's really wishful thinking. Um, they want everything to go back to sort of the rosy scenario that we had for a very long period of time of uh, low interest rates and growth and really no sort of underlying macroeconomic concerns. Um, so I do. I, I think it's it's wishful thinking. We'll just have to wait and see how things pan out, the sort of geopolitics will come into play. And... Um, Various other aspects within the U.S. Um, as we sort of gear up towards the presidential election and we've obviously got the, the debt ceiling discussions coming up in the future. All of those will have an impact.
0: And if the markets are going to give up this rosy scenario then, then there's got to be some, some repricing and presumably some volatility in the markets to get where they from where they are now to where the Fed thinks they should be. Yes, I think so. Um, and... It's really sort
2: of pricing in the new norm. If interest rates do remain at this elevated level for a prolonged period of time, which is what I think they will, then people need to adapt to that and take that sort of into their investment decisions and pricing it into their cost of capital and uh, that sort of general approach. And that just takes its time to work its way through the system. Um, Mm.
0: Do you think maybe the Fed has gone too far? There are some people who are saying that today. Lance Yun, who's the chief economist for the National Association of Realtors in the U.S., says the 25 basis point rate hike is unnecessary and harmful um, amid what is clearly decelerating um, inflation. Do, do you think maybe they have gone too far?
2: I think we'll only know that with hindsight, mm. um, really, when, when we see yes. how quickly yeah. inflation comes down and um, – And sort of what the impact, will we be able to look back and go, actually, we could have stopped at sort of four and a half rather than going up to five and a quarter. But, I mean, the realtors are somewhat sort of self-serving. The housing market in the U.S. will be one of the first to be impacted by the increase in interest rates. The commercial real estate market is um, showing signs of weakness as well in the U.S. So, um, yeah, they're feeling the pinch, and that will have knock-on effects, certainly.
0: Andrew, there's two other considerations that maybe the Fed took into account here. The first one was obviously the weakness in the uh, in the regional banks. And, and these rate hikes seem to have sort of upended the balance sheet of quite a few of these small um, regional banks. So we've had four banks now go under. A fifth is sort of teetering on the brink. C- uh, JP Morgan's CEO, Jamie Dimon, was saying the crisis was over, but it, it doesn't seem to be, does it? Well, uh, you know, unless,
1: sorry, Peter, this, this, this is an evasive answer is unless we know how big is the flow of deposits out of those banks and uh, how poor their asset structure is and what caused this to be poor. Is it just huge holdings of treasuries like it was with the Silicon Valley Bank or simply a lot of uh, lending to, to the property sector? which is uh, much more ambivalent and much more can be nuanced. I really wouldn't want to to say anything without having the data, other than mm-hmm. saying, yes, no doubt, some of those banks uh, are having problems, and I want to know why they're having problems.
0: I mean, it, it does seem to, when, when you get on to now five banks failing in a few weeks, it seems to suggest that it's more than just a, a sort of an idiosyncratic problem that the regulators and the Fed has been saying, and that maybe there is some systemic problem with these regional banks or, or their business model.
1: Well, uh, Peter, my God, you are incredibly, uh, well, let's say, well-read and educated. This is straight out of the importance of being earnest.
0: To lose one bank, it's unfortunate. (laughs) To lose five smacks of carelessness. (laughs) 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 Well, Well, That's (laughs) your best Oscar Wilde, isn't it? Yeah,
1: precisely. And uh, yes, also, I'm I'm, I'm imitating badly Edith Sitwell, but never mind. Okay.
0: (laughs) Simon, I mean, how, how big a problem is what's going on in the regional banks? I mean, we're in, it looks like, you know, four have gone already. A fifth one is sort of teetering on the brink. It, it's not just a, a one-off, is it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. The Fed has taught us, in fact, to expect that uh, if it looks bad, uh, they will step in and do something about it. Uh, you know, I, I, I know it is repetitive, OK, but uh, I don't think they will simply now draw a line and say, well, you know, They can can carry on coming down, given also the fact that they said they are not going to cut interest rates. They might have said, well, tough, but now, okay, we're going to get through easier times. They said we're not moving until June plus. So I think if it is a real case, they will intervene again
2: yeah and i mean to add to that i th- jamie diamond's comment again is somewhat trying to sort of wishful thinking on his part he's trying self-serving to, as well I- isn't it? exactly he wants to make to, to restore stability to the sector um and he obviously and he knows as well he can't go around just gobbling up all the failed banks uh, because he's the only one with the capital but i i don't think it's over yet i think we'll see a period of consolidation amongst a lot of the regional banks um i think many more of sort of depositors will now be waking up to the sort of FDIC, the uh, federal deposit insurance limits of sort of $250,000. And there will be increasing withdrawals from a lot of these regional banks as people spread their money around. Um, PacWest is, I mean, relatively small, um, 30 billion in deposits, but um, has fallen over very quickly, as did Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley Bank and Jerome Powell as you mentioned at the start, said that this was an unprecedented, um, swift failure. And I don't think that that's over yet. Um, and on back on that sort of real estate point, Charlie Munger, uh, Warren Buffett's business partner at Berkshire Hathaway, came out just a few days ago to say that he thinks that there is significant um, bad loans in commercial real estate within Um, the the U.S. regional banks, and that's partly a sort of knock-on effect of the weak economy, but also the gradual sort of shrinking of retail bricks and mortar in the U.S. Um, And essentially, with higher interest rates, those loans are either falling into default or the valuation of those properties used as security are having to be repriced.
0: So is that where the next crisis could be? Because several people have been talking about commercial real estate in the US, not just Charlie Munger, although his comments have got a lot of attention. Do you think that's where the next uh, crisis could be or how this banking crisis could spread and people start looking more closely at, uh, you know, the value of these commercial properties and just who's holding the loans on them? I think
2: there would certainly, if I mean, if I was the regulator, and I'm sure they're doing this, is going around all these banks and asking them to look very carefully at their balance sheets. And there'll be a lot of internal assessments and uh, risk management scenarios to find out what the problems are, and then hopefully taking preemptive actions to uh, correct that or stem the issues and whether it involves injecting some capital into some of these banks to just really provide reassurance. Um, I think we'll we'll see, but uh, I'm sure the Fed um, will take action.
0: Andrew, how much is this feeding through to the real economy? This problem in the real estate, uh, in the in the regional banking sector. Jerome Powell was talking about uh, a, a tightening of credit conditions. That maybe, um, you know, we're going to see tighter regulations on these banks. It'll be more difficult for them to lend, or maybe they'll be more unwilling to lend. How much is that tightening sort of financial conditions in the United States? Uh,
1: we have to keep in mind. That, uh, as we have already heard from my good friend here, that uh, all these things take time to feed through. Now, we are looking at unemployment and employment that seems to have stabilised. Uh, retail sales appear to be quite, uh, quite strong, quite, quite, quite good. Uh, investment, not so. And the last numbers we had uh, of the GDP in the States, of course, these are very much looking backwards. Uh, the consumption side of the economy, we're doing, we're doing well. So the answer is, is it is still clearly not pushing through. Otherwise, the rate of inflation will be coming down much faster. It is pushing through relatively slowly. Mm. So uh, unfortunately, I, you know, God, I sound like an economist, and um, I'm having it both ways here. The Fed seems to be having it its own way, in the sense that they said we're not going to cut and uh, we we may increase, but it is unlikely. So we we leave it like that. In other words, let's see what happens till uh, till till June. Then we will we would still have a couple of months of uh, of uh, of consumer spending and also the labor market situation to tell us whether the things are slowing down and hence inflation will be slowing down as well.
0: Um, Simon, the other the other problem looming is the uh, the debt ceiling. The Fed's raising rates just as the Treasury is warning it could run out of money uh, to service its obligations by by June the first if Congress doesn't raise or suspend the debt limit before that time. And this debt ceiling fight it's causing all sorts of kinks in the bond market, isn't it? For debt maturing around that time of this impending default, so the yield curve is inverted. That puts in, in itself further pressure um, on banks. So how big an issue is this?
2: Well, we, we see this whenever it sort of comes up and they start hitting their limit. It's sort of the political party, whichever's in opposition at the time, dresses this up as fiscal prudence. But really, it's, um, um, it, it's politics at play. And, I mean, the, one of the things to bear in mind is when Kev- Kevin McCarthy um, became Speaker of the House, he did so... He had to make a number of concessions to sort of various rebels on the Republican side, and one of those was that he would extract his pound of flesh from um, from the Democrats in return for raising the debt ceiling. I mean, I think everybody knows it, the ceiling will get raised. Um, America is not going to go into default. It may, as it did last time, go through a period where some federal workers... Um Get furloughed for a period of time, and federal um, sort of organizations such as museums and national parks and things actually get closed, but they'll come to a resolution, but it's unnecessary
0: sort of political brinkmanship so you seem pretty confident that this is all going to get resolved even be all be maybe at the last minute as, as it has done in the past I think it will do um,
2: how it's going to get resolved, and who's going to have to um make their concessions and it's really extracting as much sort of political damage Damage, against the other side ahead of the presidential election that's really what both parties are trying to do the republicans are going to try and maximize that and the democrats are going to try and uh, limit the damage.
0: Andrew when we spoke about this last week you you were pretty comfortable that this was a storm in a teacup you're not going to have to do an Oscar Wilde of another Oscar Wilde over this are you still one week later uh, confident? Uh, yes, to the extent
1: that uh, it might be a storm in a teacup, it might be a very large teacup. Okay, but then uh, I look at uh, simply what uh, the Fed has told us has happened since the year 2000. We had eight counts them, eight occasions that uh, the debt ceiling became a real issue, and in all eight periods, okay, the debt ceiling was simply raised.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it, it it isn't a matter that the United States is too big to default, even if the debt ceiling wasn't raised, and the date passed. And actually, I can think of three occasions this has happened, and I can actually clearly see in my mind's eye, okay, signs, the Agricultural Department, uh, the uh, Trade Department, all of them with signs closed. In other words, the Fed, the the federal government, did close down. Again, nothing happened, because surprise, surprise, the Fed found ways uh, of carrying on, uh, uh, rolling over the debt, whilst this was still being sorted out. So I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, being comfortable by saying, oh, no, 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 they will sort it out. Simply seeing what has happened in cases where the government actually did close down and there were solutions in place.
0: So, I mean, let's switch to out here. Obviously, the HKMA is going to follow suit uh, this morning. Do you think uh, banks are they going to raise the prime rates this time? They've been holding off, haven't they? But the liquidity is draining out of the system. Uh, we're below fifty billion dollars now on the aggregate balance. Presumably, the commercial banks are going to have to respond this time. I think they will. I, they I mean, will. the
2: spread is now I think one point six percent between high bor our interbank offer rate and the the Fed funds rate. So. Yeah, the, the sort of there's an active carry trade going on. The HKMA has had to intervene. I mean, it's got plenty of capital to do so, but um, it's somewhat unnecessary. So I do. I think that spread is going to um, that spread will have to narrow, and as a result, mortgage rates here in Hong Kong will go up, um, and that'll have a big impact on people.
0: Andrew,
1: absolutely. Um, this is also another little lesson that the uh, peg does not mean American interest rates equal Hong Kong interest rates. No, they don't. There can be quite a wide variation. And when the Fed about a year ago started increasing, uh, the banks did nothing for, I think, something like three hikes. Mm-hmm. Now, it was the Fed hike, hiked three times, and the Hong Kong interest rates just didn't move. Okay, well, now they have to move because of the peg. And uh, the exchange rate is firmly stuck at uh, 784, something like that. Now, it was literally at the top of its weakness and uh, the hong kong monetary authority keeps it there actually the system is keeping it there not just the hong kong monetary authority so the answer is, is uh, yes quite likely hong kong interest rates will increase but still there will be a gap between the HIBOR and the fed funds
0: And what do you make of that economic data that we had earlier this week? Hong Kong's economy has exited recession. It expanded 2.7% year on year in the first three months of 2023, following four consecutive quarters of contraction. It seems to have been led by um, a little bit of a spending boom. So, Andrew, do you think now we're on on the paths, on the clear path to recovery here in Hong Kong?
1: Let me just uh, put my needle on the stuck position. Remember, the 2.4% was from a very low base. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we can't forget that. And, uh, the, uh, sort of straws in the wind is what is happening to tourism. And the answer is, is, uh, uh, apparently big numbers of, sorry, it sounds horrible of low quality. In other words, we have people that come and they, they stay for a few hours and then they leave. All right. And this was of course, during golden week, which is a particular good week. Now, uh, the, the extra 3,000 that has been injected will be fading out and the next 1,000 is not coming till July. So I'm afraid I'm not being very happy as to the forward-looking part of the Hong Kong Chinese economy and that is particularly on the tourism uh, side uh, given also that interest rates will be impacting the, 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 both the equity and the housing market. And that also explains why Hong Kong seems to be one of the very few exceptions in Asia with uh, so far a negative year-to-year basis in US dollars accompanying Thailand and Malaysia, that both of them are looking forward to elections. So they have some uh, also good reasons why they're negative.
0: Simon, final word to you. What what do you think? If, If this spending boom runs out of steam, is the Hong Kong economy then in trouble?
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, I... Really, I don't think consumption vouchers, um, throwing money around like that is really the way that the government should be driving long-term growth. Um, And I mean, Paul Chan said growth this year, three and a half to maybe five and a half on the top side. But I mean, we shrunk by three and a half percent last year. So we're really only coming back to sort of slightly better than break even if everything goes according to plan. So I think the government really needs to... To take a good hard look at the economy and how to drive growth, and yes, there's all sort of different aspects, but we have to bear in mind that compared to where Hong Kong was sort of ten or fifteen years ago, it's got a lot more competition now from um, other regional locations, either sort of Shanghai, Singapore. Um, we really need to make ourselves stand out and um, show how we can be different and what it is, what sort of value that we have to add to the business community. And we we benefit from having some of that history. And obviously there's a critical mass of um, sort of service industries, particularly lawyers, accountants, bankers. um, And we've got the stock market here, but we can't rest on our laurels. And the government really needs to focus on sort of, shoring that up and making sure that it sort of continues to grow
0: so so we need some structural reforms really in the economy rather than these short-term sweeteners all the time
2: yes that's what i'd like to see
0: okay well thank you both very much you heard there simon cavender who's partner at bda partners andrew ferris who is the ceo of econosis advisory I'm joined now by Ross Feingold, who is business development director at SafePro Group over in Taipei. Good morning, Ross. Good morning. Well, as we've heard there earlier on in the the program, uh, the Fed has raised rates by 25 basis points, but signaled that a pause um, could be coming. So what's your assessment of what they've done? Is this the right thing to do?
3: Well, I've heard there's a U.S. election coming up uh, about a year and a half from now, so as much as the Fed likes to say they're they're independent of politics, uh, I mean, of course, they're sensitive to the political calendar as well, so that might be a factor in, in the, the signal that they're sending.
0: I mean, they, they've, they're sort of doing this at a time when inflation is still um, still high. So, although they've got interest rates at five percent to five and a quarter percent, that's pretty well where inflation is um, at the moment. So, you know, the data suggests that they've still got further to go.
3: Uh, yeah, and the interesting thing there is it's not just about the data. I mean, we could all look at the data, but just talk to anyone who's who's living in the U.S. Uh, you know, even We just put aside our own travels there from our homes here, here in Asia. But uh, I, mean, I talk to my family or friends, and I'm sure other people have the same just anecdotal experience. I mean, everybody's complaining about prices going up. You know? So mm-hmm. just a, at least on the, the anecdotal day-to-day level, I, I don't think anyone reports back, for, uh, you know, anybody who lives in the U.S. would report back to their friends out here that that prices are falling or or even stabilizing you know generally people are are still complaining about the the rising price of just about everything
0: and who do they blame for that are are they blaming the fed are they blaming the biden administration Who, who do they blame if anyone
3: well, uh, according to the polls, uh, I guess most people are going to blame blame the Biden administration. I mean, Fortunately or not, for those who are in charge at, a, at any particular time, I mean, any kind of bad economic news is just going to be blamed on them. But uh, uh, even to, to make a more dispassionate political observation, uh, half of the electorate is going to reflexively uh, blame the Biden administration because they didn't vote for uh, Biden. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and not only that, it, it, it's easy. Again, I, I'm saying this not as a partisan, but somewhat dispassionately, Uh, and we see the messaging that does come from Republicans in Congress or or, uh, Republican uh, pundits and analysts on television uh, or or in in, in the media, Uh, they they point to some of the energy policies, uh, which were were very different from some of the Trump administration policies, especially with regard to domestic production. They point to the so-called Inflation Reduction Act and some of the other spending bills that were passed in, in, in the first two years of the Biden administration and the Democrats controlled the House and the Senate, and they say that that contributed to to the rising prices. It did not help resolve the situation, and uh, uh, this sells well. So uh, even if we we disagree with it as a matter of economics, uh, but but politically that sells very well. So to go back to your question, sure. Uh, the starting point is half half the electorate is or the public is going to blame the Biden administration, and there are probably even people who voted for Biden who, who are uh, uh, going to blame him anyway because. And they blame who's ever, ever in charge. And that's why we see uh, the poll numbers for Biden, whether it's uh, uh- just generally are you satisfied with the administration uh, right track wrong track for the country I mean the numbers are just not good
0: mm, but presumably there's another group of people who do benefit from some of these policies particularly low income people who say you know the economy as it stands and has it as it has been for decades just simply isn't fair um, it, it cuts out a lot of people from benefiting from it only a certain group a small group of people really benefit and therefore the government should and has been doing things to try and even out some of those inequalities.
3: That, that's a great point, but it, it's not necessarily a winning point as a matter of politics. Again, you know, half the electorate is not going to be voting on that as an issue. The, the, the culture war issues are, are very powerful uh, in the last few election cycles, they'll, they'll continue to be again in, in, in next November, November, 2024 as well. Uh, depending on what one's favorite culture war issues, whether they're from the conservative side or from the progressive side. Uh, so people don't necessarily vote on that. And then the other thing to keep in mind on, on that issue is, uh, the, where voters are concentrated. So some of the, the concerns that you might mention, you know, if, if it's more of an issue, say for people in urban areas in the big cities, uh, they were going to vote Democrat no matter what, uh, to be frank. So, uh, again, it does. some of those issues uh, might be valid as a point of economics, but not necessarily change the course of elections.
0: It sounds like whatever happens next year, once again, it's going to be a very divisive election in the US.
3: Well, look who's running. Mm. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that tells you all you need to know, really, doesn't it? It's a rerun of the, of sh- uh, the last election.
3: It sure does.
0: Another issue where politics is very intertwined with the economics is the debt ceiling. Um, you know, we're coming up to the period, according to Janet Yellen, uh, where the government's going to run out of money on June the 1st. This is all down, really, isn't it, to uh, Republicans and Democrats in Congress not being able to sit down um, and agree on on uh, the conditions under which the debt ceiling is going to be raised?
3: That's right, and and just as a reminder for the audience, we're we're really mixing two different issues here because there's one issue is the debt ceiling, and that is a statutory uh, limit on, on the amount of money that the U.S. government could have as as its debt. Um, but but the second issue, which is getting mixed in, is is spending and budgets and how budgets are spent. And, and they they are from from a, a strict kind of legal or constitutional perspective, they are two different issues. Uh, but they get mixed together as a matter of politics and negotiation, uh, depending on, on who's, who's in the White House and who, who controls one or both houses of Congress. And, and both the parties, they'll play both sides. Uh, so one, one party might mix the issues and the other party will say, you're not supposed to do that. And then they flip positions um, uh, back and forth.
0: But what, why are the Republicans... Concern now about the debts because when they were in power under Donald Trump, they increased it at a record rate under his presidency and they had no problem at the time raising the debt ceiling without any conditions whatsoever at that time. Why are they so concerned now?
3: Well, like I said, it's it's a matter of politics and and the the parties will switch sides uh, depending on uh, who's who's on on, uh, in the White House, depending on who's in the majority in one or two houses of of Congress and who's in the minority. And it just it plays well politically to say you're you're for one thing or the other, just depending on the situation. Uh, It is, frankly, a bit embarrassing, uh, especially speaking as an American, to see them uh, just flipping their positions depending on which uh, uh, strategic situation they're in at the moment. But that's what they keep doing, and, and they never own up to it either. Uh, we don't really have a, a serious approach to long-term solutions to, to these issues.
0: Mm. And, and the other issue, of course, that is still raging on is the the crisis among the regional banks. We've had four banks now fail, and maybe a fifth one is teetering um, on, on the brink um we've had some senators elizabeth warren bernie sanders sort of blaming the fed for this saying that you know this is upended banks balance sheets and it's time to stop uh, these these rate hikes because they're leaving the economy even more vulnerable to an overreaction by the fed what do you th- say about that
3: well certainly I mean, the rates go up it does affect uh, you know, mr and mrs consumer, uh, you know, they're paying more for their mortgages, they're paying more for their credit card debt. Uh, so you know, from a Sanders or a Warren perspective, we see where they're coming uh, from that. But, but interestingly, I, you know, I'm not sure why Senator Ward's not going after the executives or the regulators uh, who weren't really doing their jobs as well and just targeting mm-hmm. the Fed. I mean, maybe it's just easy to make that point on TV, but uh, this also seems to be an issue. And, and, and we saw that with, with, with Silicon Valley Bank specifically. I Maybe mean, they're just we have lots of people in the audience who are very familiar with these issues. There's some basic risk management, some basic interest rate uh, risk management that they just seem to have failed at.
0: Mm, they didn't put any hedge on, did they, their bond portfolio? So they were completely at risk from rising interest rates, which is ultimately why they failed the, the unrealized losses on those big bond portfolios, which the regulators forced the banks to hold. They basically force you into uh, safe treasury bonds.
3: <laughs> well, it, it maybe sounds not like so some kind of
0: nightmare. <laughs>
3: it sounds like some kind of you know, nightmare revisited from past uh, financial crisis here in asia
0: mm, but can can the regional banks survive this this because it, it sort of suggests there's something wrong with their model doesn't it where you have these banks that are not small, um they don't fall into the category though they're too big to fail, but maybe just below that. But they have these very concentrated customer bases, um, you know, a business model which is very focused on a certain sort of consumer uh, group, lots of deposits that are uninsured. Can can this continue?
3: Uh, I would say we need to revisit this in a few years, and the reason why I, I answer that way is simply because we 're in a period of uh, it, it hasn 't happened as fast as people might have thought, but we 're still in a period of great change in, in how people access financial serviti- services uh, because of the growth of, of online financial transactions uh, the, the use of cryptocurrencies is a factor as well uh, PTP lending and, and all these various other factors uh, you, people maybe three four or five years ago were predicting. Some kind of revolution in the short term, I think that process is still playing out, including the regulatory approach to those issues as well. Uh, so what the, the long term spaces for those the banks in, in that in that segment I, I think it's just it's just an unknown at this point, but uh, yeah, they're going to have some great difficulty uh, surviving.
0: And let me ask you finally, what's going to be the impact here on Asia of this latest rate rise? Well,
3: we're, we're probably going to hear a lot more people talking about things like uh, moving away from the dollar and, and, and trying to uh, uh, not uh, be so reliant on events in the United States. I mean, politically, again, it's it's a moment for, for China or the BRICS to be making those arguments. And we see them doing that, how successful they'll be. I, I, I don't think uh, many of us feel that, that the UN is going to uh, overtake the dollar and, you know, for reasons we all know very well. And, and that's going to be a very long and slow process. But uh, we're going to to hear that message a lot about various kinds of risks presented by the united states Uh, but the thing to watch there is to see is that message going to be coming more and more not just from china uh, but from other countries in this part of the world that that are are significant players in the global economy uh, you know potentially even quote countries with great relationships to the united states like japan and korea uh, but we also hear uh, from countries like
0: indonesia and thailand as well Okay, Ross. Well, thank you very much. Always good to talk to you. That's Ross Feingold, who's Business Development Director at SafePro Group. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you tomorrow. Joining me to discuss them are Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Carlos Casanova, who is Senior Asia Economist at UBP. And with a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, Director at Staten Advice. Have a great day. Money Talk.